I'm not going to read for you the entire Ten Commandments. We basically read those in our opening litany. I want to read for you the first commandment as our Jewish brothers and sisters number the commandments. The first commandment as our Jewish friends number the commandments is, Then the Lord God spoke all of these words, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. The first commandment, I am the Lord your God. Doesn't sound much like a commandment, does it? Interesting. Um, the way our Jewish friends number, I'll try to talk with you a little bit about why that is so important to them, but that is the first commandment um, as, as our, uh, our Jewish friends number them. Then the Lord spoke all of these words, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of slavery. You have heard the ancient story. Last Sunday was 23 years to the day that Amy and I drove, uh, pulled our truck into the drive at 3900 Park Road to unpack a truckload of our books and belongings. And next week will represent the anniversary of the first Sunday we stepped into this pulpit as your pastors, 23 years ago. It's been a long run. Most of it has been uncannily good. 23 years of preaching, though, week after week. How in the world have you stood it for that long? Thank you so much. It is a responsibility that we take as a tremendous privilege, and it's a challenge. Being lectionary preachers, we are now beginning our eighth time around this three-year cycle of the Bible's text. I hope that our need to find new ways to tell old stories, to tell the old story, uh, I hope that our need will result in fresh insights, not just novel, manufactured interpretations of those scriptures. That desire to look for a new way to tell old truth led to our current series, which has us both preaching, pairing the Hebrew text with the gospel lection for each Sunday. The series that we're calling Jesus Taught, What Jesus Learned, should not imply any kind of one-to-one -one correspondence, as if Jesus learned the Ten Commandments, so he told today's parable of the vineyard. That's not it at all. But it is interesting to consider how the wisdom of Jesus' religious tradition influenced his understanding of God and one another and how that influence made its way into his ministry and to the messages that he taught. So what we're asking today is how might these texts go together? What might Jesus have learned about laws and the law, the Jewish law, that influenced his understanding of faithfulness? true faithfulness. As I begin my half of today's sermon, my half that's devoted to 10 full commandments, I'll share with you this preaching exhortation by Dr. John Holbert, retired preaching professor at Perkins School of Theology. Of preaching this text, Holbert says, never, and I underline, never be tempted by what the lectionary has today tempted you to do. Namely, to preach all ten of the commandments in one sermon. That way lies disaster. The result will either be trivialization of several of them or obfuscation of all of them. And you know I would never want to obfuscate anything for any of you. In 2002, Amy and I spent the summer preaching all ten of these good words. We can share those manuscripts with you if you want to dig deeper. 
In a few weeks, Bill Hemingway will offer a Park Road University class, four commandments this fall, and then six more in the spring. So we'll have a chance to look in depth at the, at the Ten Commandments. So since I do not have even one full sermon today, what I want to do is to deal with that first verse, that first commandment, as our Jewish friends understand it, which many commentators believe is the interpretive key to understanding the whole thing. Then God spoke all these words, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. The Decalogue, as it is often called, Deca means ten, log means word. The ten words are the indisputable center of Jewish faith. The words themselves come from Moses on Mount Sinai, given to Moses at the beginning of that 40-year sojourn through the wilderness. So the giving of the law stands as the introduction to the movement of the children of Israel from bondage to liberation. The beginning of that story, the movement from bondage to liberation, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And the words stand at, as the center of Jewish law. The laws are at the center of Jewish law. The Torah, which means something like instruction, the first five books of the Bible function in some ways as an extensive interpretation and explication, an exposition of the Ten Commandments. Those five books expand the Ten Commandments. One of those ten basic words, the, out of those ten basic words, the rabbis developed 613 laws, 613 rules. How do we honor the Sabbath day, for example? Well, they said that involves rest and keeping kosher and right worship. And so all the codes for uh, what constitutes worship and what you could eat and what you couldn't eat and what and where and how and when to worship, all of that come out of the one commandment. So the Ten Commandments stand at the beginning of the story of Israel, which becomes the essential Jewish theology. Movement from bondage to liberation. Freedom from all that can bind us. And this Decalogue stands at the center of Jewish religious life and practice. It is theology and practice. It is the theoretical and the practical, the ethical and the ritual. All of this is summarized in the opening words before we even get to the first specific commandment as we number them. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Jewish life for Jesus and to this day, the theology of the rabbis, the ideology of the politicians revolves around that memory. We were slaves in Egypt. I said to a friend of mine a few years ago, an African-American friend of mine, um, it's amazing to me that some white people don't understand the power that slavery still holds on the African-American community. And he said, yeah, and the Jews still say, we were slaves in Egypt. If you want to know why American slavery is relevant to contemporary political and cultural discussions today, let me remind you that the pain of oppression still forms the center of Jewish life more than 3,000 years after that bondage. We were slaves 
in Egypt. And God set us free. God sets us free. In his powerful tribute to Martin Luther King Jr., James Taylor sings these words. Let us turn our thoughts today to Martin Luther King and recognize that there are ties between us, all men and women living on the earth, ties of hope and love, sister and brotherhood, that we are bound together in our desire to see the world become a place in which our children can grow free and strong. We are bound together by the task that stands before us and the road that lies ahead. We are bound and we are bound. If we are committed to the idea of freedom, if we are bound on the road to liberation, true liberty and justice for all, we must be willing to bind ourselves, to be bound to a set of convictions, codes, rules, laws. And those rules, like any rules we voluntarily accept, will in fact impose some restrictions on our freedoms our time, and our choices, and our money. Liberation is not libertinism. Being free does not mean just doing anything I want, anytime I want it. It means being willing to be bound for the sake of a greater good. The first four commandments bind us to God. The next six, suggesting codes for human conduct, bind us to one another. They all point us down the road to freedom. We are bound, and we are bound. At the center of Jesus' understanding of the kind of freedom God wants for this world stood his bold commitment to be bound to the laws for the sake of a greater law. It cost him his life to show us what freedom really means. If only all of us were that free. May it be so. Amen. Before I read the text, let me start with the end. First of all, don't worry. As we make our way through this parable, it's not as bad as it sounds at the outset. In the end, those listening realize that he's talking about them, the insiders, the religious keepers of the flame, the pious, righteous ones. He's chewing them up and spitting them out. He's telling them his own story and their own culpability in not being faithful to the message of God, to the Ten Commandments, even though that is not specifically referenced here, they've not been faithful. And after Jesus tells this parable to them, which is wretched to have to listen to, I'm sorry, I think he tells it with a little bit of venom on his lips. It probably takes them a minute to get it, kind of the same minute or all week long that it took me to make some sense of it. He was speaking about them and in turn about us. God help us. Jesus knew those Ten Commandments as foundational for the ways to love God and each other. He knew how to act. He knew how to live and move and be in this world because he had learned it at the temple. And remember, Matthew's audience would have been primarily other Jews. So Jesus and Matthew, by way of telling the Jesus story, he's stepping on toes big time to the people that would have heard this, read this story. 
a parable is a vehicle that we ride to get to some truth. It's not a literal story. It's an arrow that points us to something we need to think about and ponder. I think Jesus means to leave us scratching our heads here today, asking ourselves, is he talking to me? Is he talking to us? If the people had just remembered something as simple as the Ten Commandments, they wouldn't be in the violent fix they were in. We would not be in the violent fix we are in if we loved God and took care of each other the way that we've been taught to love and respect and honor. So what I'm about to read to you is from the mouth of an angry and fed-up Jesus. Angry and fed-up Jesus doesn't sound like the Jesus that we know and love the best. But sometimes there's so much wrong in the world that Jesus finally addresses how people have fallen short. And like anyone who's angry, he goes extreme on us today probably to get our attention. So just remember, when you start feeling a bit defensive about the prospect of how you have fallen short of living up to who God created you to be, that's probably the place you need to pay attention the most. So from Matthew's Gospel, we have. Listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard put a fence around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a watchtower. Then he leased it to tenants and went to another country. When the harvest time had come, he sent his slaves to the tenants to collect his produce. But the tenants seized his slaves and beat one, killed another, and stoned another. Again, he sent other slaves, more than the first, and they treated them the same way. Finally, he sent his son to them saying, they will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, this is the heir, come, let us kill him and get his inheritance. Do you see the wink, wink, nod, nod of the parable here? So they seized him, threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Now when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? And they said to him, so Jesus asked them the question, now when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to them? And they said to him, oh, he'll put those wretched wretches to a miserable death and lease the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the produce at the harvest time. And Jesus said to them, have you never read the scriptures? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is amazing in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people that produces the fruits of the kingdom. The kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people that produces the fruits of the kingdom. The one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, and it will crush anyone on whom it falls. So when the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parable, they realized that he was speaking about them. They wanted to arrest him, 
Do you hear the defensive nature there? They wanted to arrest him, but they feared the crowds because they regarded him as a prophet. You've heard the ancient story. I'm going to begin and end this homily with a prayer that I found. God, I don't have great faith, but I can be faithful. My belief in you may be seasonal, but my faithfulness will not be. I will follow in the way of Christ. I will act as though my life and the lives of others matter. I will love. I have no greater gift to offer than my life. Take it. I open with this quote from Gordon Atkinson, a writer and a pastor, who in my opinion sums up attentiveness to the Ten Commandments and what it means to be faithful, which is the heart of this parable where we have an angry Jesus kicking you-know-what and taking names. Just be faithful to who God has called you to be. It's as simple as that. But here's the rub. God calls us to be like Jesus. And more often than not, that just doesn't come naturally to us because our culture is bent on me first and not the first shall be last and the last shall be first that ended our text a couple of weeks ago. Our culture is bent towards success and power and money at all costs. And that's just not the Jesus way any way you slice it. Carolyn Lewis, a commentator, said this about this parable. The kingdom of God does not work like the reign of the marketplace. What you do, who you are, is not for the sake of yourself, but for the sake of something beyond yourself. In the end, tending the presence and potential of the kingdom of God is not just about tending the vineyard, but tending something that is beyond your control. And oh, how we do love control. We have no idea what the yield will be, and the unsettling question of all is what will you do with it? I can't help but wonder if Jesus were to show up today and tell us a story to teach us a lesson about the current state of affairs, if he wouldn't pull out this old faithful parable and he really wouldn't have to change a thing to get his point across that we have lost our way, or should I say, we have lost his way, and it's killing us. Literally, from the amount of gun violence and substance abuse and war that we are watching on our televisions live to a more figurative way of killing us in our political divide and the way that we talk at each other in such hateful ways. We are dying inside and out. And so often people are doing this in the name of religion, Christian nationalism, just to name one. We are killing Jesus all over again, and people are turning away from anything to do with religion because of the hypocrisy and the pettiness and the fear-based notions that lead to othering instead of inclusion. Christians are killing Jesus all over again. And if he were here today, I think he might just read us the same parable. 
In our text today, it says, I therefore I tell you the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people that produces the fruits of the kingdom. Every time we fail to love God, we have four commandments that tell us how to do that. And every time we fail to take care of each other, we have six commandments that help us in that arena. Every time we ignore these commandments and all the teachings of Jesus, we lose our place in the goodness of kingdom living. I believe that goodness is always out there for us, calling us, beckoning us to live into it. And when we don't, we miss out. Maybe it's not so much that God is taking it away from us. It's that we are not taking hold of what is there for us to latch on to. And it's there for all people. When we are not faithful, we are the loser. We lose out on kingdom living. It's out there. Everyone can have it. Living in God, through God, with God, and with all of God's beloveds. If Jesus were here, I'm pretty sure he would be angry, real angry, about the state of affairs of the kingdom of God on earth, for it is not as it is in heaven yet. We need to hear that he's still speaking about us, to us. Can you hear him? Can you hear him past his anger and recognize that his outrage is fueled by love? the love of God and the care for others. It's as old as the Ten Commandments and as new as this very moment where we hold the power to embody love. God's vineyard still needs our tending and our harvesting, and Jesus is still speaking to us, calling us to live into all that God created us to be. God, I don't have great faith but I can be faithful. My belief in you may be seasonal, but my faithfulness will not be. I will follow in the way of Christ. I will act as though my life and the lives of others matter. I will love. I have no greater gift to offer than my life. May it be so. Amen.